I have had some challenging speaking opportunities in my life, but I don't think anything is more challenging right now than speaking to a room full of the aroma of those crockpots. Wow. Um, it is uh, it's smelling amazing in here. So thank you all for uh, participating in, uh, in our lunch together. And again, any of you who would love to would please stay and, and join us as we, uh, as we share a meal together and also put up some uh, Christmas decorations together. We'd love to have you stay and be a part of that. I love the Advent season. I really do. It's, it's so interesting. I don't know that I necessarily knew too much about it growing up. I think as I think about the churches I was a part of as, as a kid, I don't think that too many of them actually observe this season we call Advent. But as I got older, I began to see it and, and really fell in love with it because it seems like things from Thanksgiving to Christmas go about a thousand miles per hour. I don't know if that's been your experience or not, but it seems like there's you're waiting and waiting. And, and as you know from my sharing last week, I didn't start listening to Christmas music until Friday. I know for some of you, that's an abomination. For some of you, amen, right? It was after Thanksgiving that we began listening to, to Christmas music. But it seems like we have so much anticipation for this incredible season to celebrate Christmas and the coming of Christ. And it just goes by so fast. Even the idea that there's four Sundays. Some of you are terrified right now in the realization there are four Sundays until Christmas. But but this is the Advent season. It's a wonderful reminder for us. And I love the, the Advent candles. I love the focus and the reminder to slow down and consider some of the wonderful themes that we celebrate during this season. As we've said, we, we celebrate things like hope and peace and joy and faith. But if we're honest, it does sometimes feel like in the busyness that all those things kind of get lost. Those become just kind of slogans on on stockings or ornaments on the tree that include those words. And and even now, there's a, there's a little book, uh, Four Emotions of Christmas by Bob Lapine. And he says that this season, this season promises hope, peace, and joy but can often bring a very different set of difficult emotions like disappointment, stress, and sadness. That the, the realization is that for as much as we look for things like joy and peace and love and faith during this season, sometimes in the, in the busyness, that, that all gets lost. Uh, sometimes in the stress and the disappointment of the sadness, as we've said, things get Things get max, get multiplied. Things get magnified in this season. If, if there's a relationship that's hurting in your life, somehow uh, this Thanksgiving and Christmas season just magnifies that hurt. If you're gathered here this morning and there is a, there's a relationship that's been lost in your life over this past year, there's just something about this season that seems to magnify that hurt. And if you're a guest with us this morning, please stop by that little welcome table in the back. We've got a gift for you that includes this little book. And I mean little book. It's only 65 pages. It's even a book I would read, right? It's just 65 pages. We'd love to uh, give that gift for you. It's called The Four Emotions of Christmas. And it really addresses some of this hurt a little bit of the disappointment, the stress, and the sadness. And our desire is throughout this Advent season, that we would begin to really find Christmas together. It's easy for it to get lost and buried. It's easy for us to get lost in the confusion. But we want to find it together. And we want you even to invite your neighbors to share in this with us as well too. 
Uh, this week, uh, a mailing is going to go out to invite the folks who live in this immediate neighborhood to join us for Christmas that they could find Christmas with us, to find that real meaning of the joy, the peace, and the love of Christmas if they would join us for this season as we move towards Advent. Also, next week, we'll have invitations for you to personally hand out. Now, this doesn't mean I want you to go through the Kroger parking lot putting them under windshield wipers. Now, we don't want you to do that. But if you have friends and family, if you have folks in your neighborhood you'd love to personally invite, we're going to have some invitations next week for you to do that. So in the midst of what seems like the most stressful, busy time of the year where sometimes what everybody else is feeling joy, we're experiencing sadness, my prayer is that you will join us as we walk through this series to find Christmas together. And, and what we know is all that you and I are looking for, all that we are looking for is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why Christmas is so important to us in the lives of believers, because it's a continual reminder for us that everything that is missing, everything that is broken, everything that is wrong, the answer is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ that we remember and celebrate, especially this Christmas season. So if you would, turn with me to the book of John. I think the book of John is going to give us a good place to start this morning to think about how it is that we find Christmas in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. John actually tells us why he wrote his gospel. He tells us why he wrote this book, this fourth book of our New Testament. He says in John 20.31, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote this for us, so that us as the readers and all who would, who would read this gospel would come to know that they can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, they will have life in his name. John's different, if you've noticed, than some of the other gospels. The other gospels kind of begin with, Jesus's his birth, his 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 heredity, all those things. But John jumps right in with with Jesus at age thirty. It it really begins with Jesus's ministry at age thirty. So John's not necessarily worried about a chronological look at the life of Jesus from birth to death. He's really more interested in this thematic picture of Jesus as truly being the Son of God who has come to give us life. And with that, these first 18 verses of the book of John work almost like a like an overture. Those of you who love music, those of you who love opera, I see that hand. I know there are, has to be someone besides me who likes a good opera and a good overture. But the overture of an opera is, is this beautiful piece of music that has snippets of every single song that you're going to hear in the opera. Uh, it's this wonderful way to introduce all of the music you're going to hear throughout the opera. And that's really what John is doing in these first 18 verses. He's going to introduce all of the themes that he's going to unpack for us in the life and ministry of Jesus moving forward. So so this prologue, as it's sometimes called, this introduction, these first 18 verses of John are helpful for us because, again, we want to keep in mind why John wrote so that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God and we can have life in his name but it's also going to introduce some themes that as you work your way through John's Gospel, you're going to see over and over and over again. So let's read together. I'm going to be reading John 1, and I want to read this prologue for us, this overture, this beginning, beginning in verse 1. 
It says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought life to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about this when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This prologue, this introduction, this overture introduces some important themes about Jesus, and I just want to unpack those for us as we look at this, that we would know as a result of this passage that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God in the flesh, in human form, bringing light and life to all who believe. That as we think about what it is that John wants us to know, even thinking, has he concluded it? He wrote these things so that we might know and believe. That even as we begin a look at finding Christmas, that we would find Christmas in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus is God, bringing light and life to all who believe. Let me let me let me show you what I mean by this. These first three verses could not have been more powerfully written than they are. This picture that in the beginning, the original readers, the original writers, they would have they would have immediately gone back to Genesis one one. They would have been thinking about the very creation of the world, of God speaking things into existence. This this picture that in the beginning, the Word already existed. There was a a strong statement here about how Jesus is fully God here. Uh, The the use of the word word here shows us that that for the Greeks, the use of the word word was, was one that represented reason. For the Jews, those of you who remember our look at the book of Proverbs together, is one that focuses on wisdom. What John is doing in just these few short verses is saying that this word is a person. It's not just about reason. It's not just about wisdom. 
Following Christ, being a Christian, is just not a, a philosophy for living a better life. It is about following a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. So again, there is so much power in what's being described here as the Word being a person, the Word being in the beginning. Even some of the things that are ascribed to the Word. In verse 2, He existed in the beginning with God. Verse 3, God created everything through Him. There's a picture here that Jesus is not only co-eternal, He has existed forever as God. He is co-equal with God. And especially the idea that He is the co-creator. If you have read through much of the Bible, you'll know that the only person that creates is God. So for John to make the assertion here that all things were created through Him and by Him and for Him, is a clear statement to the reader that this Jesus is truly God. He is the one and only God. It's a a picture for us that, that from the very beginning, John wants us as the reader and the readers to know that this co-eternal, co-equal, co-creator is truly, completely God. What a strong statement that the Word already existed as fully God. We know he's going to unpack it later in this and and tell us that not only was he fully God, but he was also fully and completely human. That in verse 14, how the Word became flesh, Jesus became flesh and lived among us. And in verse 18, at the end of this prologue, he wraps it up with this picture of God being made visible. This is the visual, visible God that we see in human flesh. Jesus is fully and completely God. There are some major important doctrines of the Christian faith. And some of those are lo- the, those begin with the idea of the Trinity, that there is one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons. We would say that is such a critical doctrine to the Christian faith. To deny that is to not truly be a follower of Christ, to not truly be a Christian. We must hold to the doctrine of the Trinity. Here, we're acknowledging that there is one God eternally existing in three distinct persons in this declaration that Jesus is fully and completely God. But with that is also the doctrine that Jesus is 100% fully God and actual humanity as well too. So of the core doctrines of the Christian faith, the core things that we are to hold on to is the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ and the beauty of the Trinity, the one God eternally existing in three distinct persons. We see those displayed in this overture in this prologue, in this picture, that there's no way the readers could have walked away with any other conclusion about who Jesus truly is other than He is truly and completely and fully God in the flesh. From those words in the beginning all the way through, John wants us to see Jesus is God. As a matter of fact, we know he spends the rest of this gospel unpacking that. He even does so in the most beautiful way. You know, one of my goals is for us to is to celebrate Jesus as we gather together for worship. But I also hope that you will develop a love and appreciation for God's word in our time together as well, too. Because this beautiful gospel of John shows that not only from this introduction, but all throughout, now John's going to show us that Jesus is God by his words and his works. He's going to give us seven miraculous signs that describe the perfect divinity of Jesus. So there's no doubt that this Jesus is fully God. 
He's also going to give, going to give us strong, powerful seven I am statements as we work through the Gospel of John together too, to demonstrate again that Jesus is fully and completely God. Just two of those, you might remember, are ones where Jesus says that He is the resurrection and the life. Or when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And those really get displayed also here in the second thing that I want us to see, that besides Jesus being fully God in the flesh, that He has come to bring light and life. Beginning in verse 4, we see some of these themes brought out. The Word gave life to everyone. His life brought light to everyone. Five, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness can never extinguish it. It gives a comparison to John the Baptist and says he was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light in verse 8. Verse 9, the true light who gives life to everyone was coming into the world. These beautiful pictures of light and life that into a world of death and darkness, Jesus is bringing eternal life and heavenly light. You know, these two themes are going to be really displayed for us in chapter 3. Some of you maybe think about chapter 3 a little bit. It's the time where Nicodemus came to meet with Jesus. And he came to him and, and Jesus talked about what does it mean to be born again or, or born from above. He, he talks to him about what it means that the light illuminates and, and reveals the way. As a matter of fact, if you are not connected to a Sunday morning group, if you're not connected to a 9.30 class, I would encourage you, join us next week at 9.30. Uh, for those that have been journaling through John, we're actually going to talk about John chapter 3 next week. So you, can, you can have a head start on it right now and spend some time praying through and reading through and journaling through the gospel, uh, John chapter 3 this week. And then we'll share what we've been learning together from that when we get together at 9.30. There's a wonderful opportunity to meet uh, in this room and talk about Genesis. But if you want to spend some more time thinking about John, especially John chapter 3, spend some time. We, we, we use a, a format we call a hear journal, which really just calls you to, to highlight a verse as you're reading that jumps off the page at you. Explain it in your own words. Ask yourself, how do I apply this? I'm spelling that here, by the way. H-E-A-R. Right? Highlight. Explain, apply, and then R. Write, write just a response to how it is that you would pray that God would move in your life to help you apply what you've been reading. And when we get together on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we share that based on the chapters of John that we've been looking at together. And again, this week coming up, December 4, we will talk about John chapter 3. But those themes of, of light and life those, those themes of the illumination that comes from God through Christ. To be able to, to reveal the way and to show the way. It's even another I am statement in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All these pictures are being described here in this very beginning to remind us that it's not that Jesus just came as God. Not just God in the flesh but He came that we might have light and life. That we might be able to see Him for who He really, see him for who He truly is. That we might find our confidence and our strength in who He is. That we might find true, real, transforming life through Him. Again, not just following a philosophy. Not just following reason or wisdom. 
but following the person of Jesus Christ, who is fully God, who has come to bring light and life to all of us. But look, it says that there will be those who don't recognize Him and those who reject Him. He says even, even those that He came to, the, even though in verse 9 this true light's coming into the world, He came to the world He created. Again, a strong statement about His divinity. But the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people, but they rejected Him. And then something so beautiful in verse 12 gives us this picture of how is it that we respond to Jesus and how is it that we put our faith in Him. And He says, but to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. This is the heart of the Gospel. This is the heart of the good news. This is John 3.16 spelled out for us. That for God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have eternal life. This is the, the snapshot here again in verse 12, that to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. This, this picture of being adopted into God's family. You know, there was a... Uh, uh, a, a wonderful, a wonderful early church leader, Augustine, and he was the the first one to kind of notice that for the for the early early reader of this, it was good to have a son because then you had someone to give your inheritance to. But the more sons you had, the more problematic it was because the idea was that now that son had to share the inheritance with the other son. So as wonderful as it was to have a son to receive your inheritance, sometimes it created problems within families the more sons you had because now they're fighting over the inheritance. I trust my sons will not be fighting over their inheritance. Uh, just uh, maybe a, a, a few return bottle slips and some coupons and and some you know maybe they'll 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 want my uh, they'll want my hometown pizza account and all the points I've generated that way. But there there won't be an inheritance. But but for the people of God, he. Augustine wanted us to notice that for in, in the mind of the people of dividing the inheritance was built on this idea of scarcity. That there was only so much inheritance to go around. And the more people that got added to it, the, the, the less the inheritance would be. But no, what Augustine pointed out for us was with God, things are different. Jesus came as the only Son as a multiplier. He came to give Abundance. In verse 16, from His abundance, we all receive one gracious blessing after another. He reminded them that when it comes to God and the inheritance that comes from Him, when we are adopted into His family, the inheritance isn't divided, it's multiplied in the lives of those who believe and who receive. The inheritance is Jesus and it's multiplied in all of us when we put our faith and trust in Him. It is not divided. It's not about scarcity. It is about the beautiful abundance of God. Even as Romans 8 says that we are, that we are His children. We are heirs with Him. These heirs are not separating a scarce amount of God's inheritance. These heirs are receiving the full inheritance that Jesus Christ gives us when we are adopted into God's family. From His abundance, verse 16 says. And then 17, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. I know some of your translations will use the words grace 
and truth there, but it harkens back to what we talked about last week in Psalm 92 about giving thanks, about being thankful, and what we're called to give thanks for. And, and we talked about His unfailing love in the morning and His faithfulness at night. It's not, it, it, it's not hard for us to imagine that what John is communicating here also is that some unfailing love, that covenant love, that grace, that unmerited favor that comes from God is the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there's not a, a sense here where we're earning somehow God's favor by what we do and, and how we live, by trying to, to live a life that pleases Him. No, it is, it is given to us by His grace and truth. His unfailing love, that picture of God's covenant love that even we just read about last week in Psalm 92 is on display here as the very heart of the Gospel. His unfailing love and faithfulness comes to us through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus matters so much. It matters not only that He's fully God, it matters so much that He brings life and life, but it matters so much that when we put our faith and trust in Him alone, not in ourselves, not in our own effort, not in our intelligence, not in our job, not in our economic impact, that when our faith is in Christ alone, we receive the rich inheritance God has for us. 18, 18 almost works as a summary for all that we have learned so far in this passage. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God, again, Jesus is God, is near to the Father's heart, at the Father's side or in the bosom of the Father, some of your translations might say. But it's talking about the intimate relationship of God the Father, and the Son, Jesus Christ. The, the picture of the Holy Trinity here that, that there is one God existing in three persons. He has revealed God to us. He is one blessing after another. Blessing upon blessing heaped on us. You know, I, love the, I love the Christmas carol, the Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Listen to, listen to the way Jar Charles Wesley describes some of these things. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Think about that for a second. That's a picture of what John is describing here in that Jesus is fully God in the flesh. The incarnate deity who came and is pleased with us to, in flesh to dwell. Chris pointed out the humiliation of God to take on human flesh. But that's exactly what He did that you and I might have light and life. That's exactly what He did. And later on, look, in verse 3 of, of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Listen to this. Born that we no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth. Born to give us second birth. That's the Jesus we celebrate at Christmas. That's the Jesus we celebrate every Sunday that we gather as a church family. This Jesus that is the heart of everything that we are and all the hope and all the inheritance and absolutely everything. It is this Jesus that is Fully God, bringing light and life to everyone who believes. So, so what do we do with a passage like this? I mean, this is beautiful. This is one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture that describe for us who Jesus is. 
So what do we do with a passage like this? If you are a follower of Christ, if you have committed your life to follow, if you trust in His grace alone to make you right with Him, to bring you into a relationship with Him, then here's what you do with a passage like this. You remember and celebrate and be encouraged. You remember and celebrate that the songs that we sing and the Scripture that you read are truly true and they're confirming in you an incredible sense of encouragement and confidence in who Jesus Christ is. As you work through this Christmas season and you think about the, the preparation and the prophet's hope and as you think about the love that comes and the peace and the joy, you recognize those are not just abstract terms. Those are rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And you remember. And you celebrate. And you draw tremendous confidence. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, this passage was designed to help you see Jesus for who He truly is. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's the, that's the reminder at the end here that John says, I wrote these things so that you would know who Jesus is and that you would find life. So what? What we're asking you is if if you don't know yet whether or not you trust Jesus as Lord, whether or not you really acknowledge that He was fully God and fully human, a very core understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ, then the invitation here is for you to receive Him. I mean, that, that's how verse 12 says, all who believed Him and accepted Him, all who believe and receive, He gives you the right to become one of His children. He gives you the right to be adopted into His family. Not based on anything that you have done. Not based on any future potential that you might offer His kingdom. He adopted you based on His character, His loving kindness, His unfailing love, His grace alone. And that invitation is there for you. That invitation is for you to see Jesus for who He truly is. As John wants you to help understand, it's almost like in this gospel, in this picture of Jesus, is with this picture of, of as we said in John at the end, that why why did he wrote write this? He wrote this so that you might believe, and that by believing you might have life in His name. So if you're already a believer, you've already received faith by grace, then this is a wonderful encouragement and reminder for you. I hope it may be even a reminder for you that allows you to take this good news to the folks next door. The folks that you meet on the street, that even as you're out in the stores through what seems like a crazy busy time, I always love it when I hear Hark the Herald Angels sing over the Muzak, because all I can think about is God and sinners reconciled. All I can think about is how that, that heaven-born Prince of Peace has come. The, the incarnate deity has come. Well, I, I pray that a passage like this, and even all the passages we look at together over these next few weeks, will, will bring that to mind, that that becomes a part of your conversation with your neighbors, with your friends, with the folks you run into on the street. But if you're here this morning and you're not quite sure if Jesus is really who He says He is, I, I, I want you to, to consider a passage just like this. And say, this, this passage make some bold, strong statements about Jesus being more than just a man, more than being a good guy, more than being a well-known prophet. It is one where He is described as being co-equal, co-eternal, co-creator of all things. It is establishing Him as fully and completely God. God in the flesh. And why did He come? 
give you light and life, to help you see Him for who He truly is. And that by believing in Him, by receiving Him, you will have the kind of life that He has described here. One that brings about the forgiveness of our sins. It adopts us into God's family. It restores us to the relationship God wanted from the beginning. This is why we celebrate every single Sunday, but especially why we celebrate together on Christmas during the Advent season. When we slow down to remember what it means that Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus came as a human, and while we long for His return, to wipe away all the sin and death and destruction and bring the life that God has called and created us for. This is good stuff. This is really good stuff. And for the believer, we want to be encouraged. Encouraged so much we can't help but talk about it. And for those who have not yet considered Christ, I pray that this, this passage will change the way you think about Jesus. I pray that you'll look at John's words here and, and even as you continue to explore the rest of the Gospel, you'll see the themes here portrayed through the rest of these 21 chapters and you'll see that Jesus truly is fully God bringing light and life to all who believe. The question is, will you receive Him? Will you accept the grace? Will you accept the unfailing love that He has offered to you this morning through this text? Would you pray with me? God, You are so good. And we are so grateful. What an amazing gift it is that You have given us Your Word. That You have given us these words that You have inspired John to write down that we can be continually reminded of. That it is Your Son, Jesus, fully and completely God, that has come to give us life. God, I pray for those who have believed in His name. Not just a blind faith, but a true confidence in who Jesus is and what He has done in His person and in His work. God, I pray that we would be so encouraged and so overwhelmed by the truth of Your Word that we couldn't help but share it. God, I do pray with those. I do pray with those who are wondering what they really do think about Jesus. Do they really, do they really believe He was both God and man? Do they really believe what Your Word says about Him? God, I pray that You would open their eyes that You would illuminate their hearts and their minds. That You would help them to see Jesus for who He truly is. The One who has come to take away our sins. The One who has come as the Savior of the world. The One who has come that the whole world celebrates. As we gather for worship and as we prepare for Christmas. God, I pray that we will find Christmas in you. That this season, through these reminders, through opportunities that you place before us to a watching world, that we would help people find Christmas in you. The one true and only God who has come that we might have life. A life. A life in you. In your heavenly name, amen.